it takes me back probably 25 years to the first biotechnology conference that I went to. And the keynote speaker said something like, um, consumers are too stupid to understand anything about this, so we shouldn't tell them anything. And I, as a consumer economist, am in the audience going, are you kidding me? And that sort of, that sort <laughs> of egged me on to look at yeah. this whole labeling issue. Food labeling's gotten a lot of attention lately. The issue of GMO labeling specifically has been quite contentious. There are those who argue that despite the fact that crops are genetically modified, they are safe, they've been used for a long time, and that labeling products with GMO ingredients causes unnecessary alarm and unnecessary costs on the system to require those labels. On the other hand, there are those who will argue that, that labeling products, consumers have a right to know what's in the food that they're buying and that some consumers are interested and care about it and so should be informed. We've seen the evolution. We've seen some jurisdictions mandate labeling anything that has GM products in it. We've seen the emergence of the non-GMO project where you will see labels that those products are certified not to have GM ingredients. So we've seen sort of a hodgepodge of approaches to labeling or not labeling these products. I think that there remains a question to, as to whether consumers care that their products contain GMO ingredients. And I think there is some evidence that some consumers clearly care, but there is other evidence, including some research that we've done, that labeling products with a label that says contains GMO ingredients doesn't affect their choices. Now, we did that work in the context of products that had the non-GMO label on them. And it was clear that the non-GMO label provided information to some consumers that wanted it to buy the products that they were interested in. But then adding a GMO label to, to the current structure of, of labeling in the Canadian market, at least, didn't make a difference. Now, I'm not saying that that's a definitive answer by any stretch. I think what's clear is we could have used a different label. That This isn't a settled question, but I think there is merit in having an ongoing discussion as to A, whether we should be labeling, B, whether they work, and C, whether consumers care at all. My name is Mike Von Masso, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Jane Kolodinsky, uh, who is a professor and chair of the Department of Community Development and Applied Economics at the University of Vermont. Vermont was one of the first jurisdictions in North America that required mandatory GM labeling, and Jane has spent a good bit of her career studying this issue, and I thought that that would provide a, an interesting perspective to this discussion. Before we get into it, I want to thank you for listening. If it's your first time, you can find the podcast wherever you get your, your favorite platform for getting uh, podcasts. You can also get it on video if you prefer to watch it uh, on your computer. We're posting most episodes, including this one, onto YouTube, and you can also find it there. If you enjoy the podcast, please take the time to provide a review wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews help others find the podcasts, allows us to be promoted within those platforms, and helps us to increase our listenership. So thank you for listening. Please help us out with reviews. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Jane. Good morning, Jane, and thanks for taking the time. Oh, nice to be here. Well, Jane, 
what I wanted to talk about today is is really the issue. Your home base is in Vermont, which was one of the first jurisdictions in North America, if not the first jurisdiction in North America, to mandate GMO labeling. And so, and I know you've done professionally a lot of work in that area. So I, I wanted to get some perspectives on whether GMOs remain an issue. Is this is this really something that is still on the minds of consumers? You know, I think it is. And I will say that Vermont has had two mandatory GMO laws, one that was way back in the 90s that people forget about with bovine somatotropin, um, which was injected into cows. And then the most recent one in 2016, which uh, required labels that were simple that said produced or partially produced using genetic engineering. Is it still an issue today? I think absolutely. In the US, um, January 1st is the deadline 2022 for the new bioengineered labeling law to go into effect. And um, we see so many different kinds of genetic engineering coming down the pike. So I think consumers do want to know about how their food is produced. I, th I think you're right. I think increasingly people are interested in how their food is produced. And it's particularly true for a group of, uh, of consumers. It's probably not universally true. Would you agree with that? You know, I, I would. But if we look at the trends in what consumers are beginning to um, increasingly demand in the food system, are foods that are simple and are not what we're going to call um, hyper-processed and so on. And it's really driving the marketplace. So there is an increasing number of consumers who are concerned about these issues. Might still be small. I, I don't know how small um, or how large, but it is growing. I think as an industry, particularly as we see this fragmentation, uh, or segmentation in the market where, where people want different things, different attributes, different characteristics in this food, it is going to be important for food companies to effectively communicate their ingredients, their production practices in order to differentiate themselves in the marketplace. Exactly. So given, given that, I think there is a, an onus on food processors to talk about their ingredients and talk about, uh, we've seen, uh, we've seen, and you and I talked last time we chatted, uh, we've seen things like the non-GMO project where there's certification, the, the green butterfly or to, to certify something is GMO free. But as you said, there are some initiatives now to have mandatory labeling that, that talks about inclusion of products rather than exclusion of products. Do you think, do you think that's necessary and do you think it works? Right. I think that there are two, there are two groups of, uh, well, there's actually three groups of consumers, right? There are the consumers who are looking for a non GMO project certified label because they want to avoid the technologies. There are the consumers who and this is a growing group, we're seeing opposition to GM decreasing over time, um, who are really seeing that some of the new genetic engineering techniques could be beneficial to the actual consumer and not back in the supply chain, right? So, yeah. um, so we see a group of consumers who might be seeking out 
those kinds of products because they want to support those products. And then we have the the big group of consumers in the middle, and we don't really know what they're they're going to do and whether or not they care. But there's always a group of consumers in the middle that that don't care about what's on a label. So, um, so I think that both both types of labels are they're not redundant labels, and uh, it allows consumers to make better choices that meet their their preferences and the way that they would like to to eat. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, like you say, there is that that group of consumers who, who just want to avoid it altogether. And the technology is really evolving from what we did with the original GMOs, some of the gene editing techniques. And as you say, there are things that we can do to you know, make the products healthier. There are things that we can do to improve animal welfare. And there remain things that we can do to improve production. And And consumers may well see those things as different. It, it's intriguing to me where you, where you say, well, consumers might actually seek some of these things out. Do you think they'll seek out the fact that they're genetically engineered or are they are they more interested in the attribute or the benefit that comes with that? You know, that's a really interesting question. And I think we're at the tip of the iceberg. A lot of research has um, has looked at, are people supportive of GM technology in general? Um, and then there have been increasing or more and more studies that talk about, do you care about the type of technology? The, the, the way that I'm moving in my own um, research area is to look at the benefits and uh, regardless of how those benefits are produced, what do consumers think about the different the different attributes, right? So it could be CRISPR or gene editing. It could be some transfer of genes, um, et cetera. And I, that could be what consumers care about. But I also think they care about whether or not it reduces reduces virus rot in plants so that that every zucchini is now genetically engineered because it gets this, this virus that will kill the plant and we won't have any zucchinis or pineapples anymore or um, products that will be drought resistant, right? So those are benefits yeah. to, um, yeah. to both farmers and to, to the consumer. Um, the other kinds of benefits are these GE salmon that are genetically modified to grow faster and produce more salmon. And I, I can tell you unequivocally that consumers are more opposed to um, genetic engineering of animals in the food system than they are of plants in the food system. And then, of course, we have um, the original technologies, which are actually helping plants to resist the spraying of pesticides and herbicides, which, of course, consumers are are sort of hesitant about. And we are seeing the incidence of of superweeds out there um, on the farms and the need to spray more and more pesticides and herbicides. So I think it's the looking at the benefits um, and the costs to the consumer rather than the, te the technology itself. And I think this is going to play out over, over time as we see more and more of these products come on the marketplace. And I would tend to agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that it's not just about the, the value added or the attribute but it's but it's also the perceived risk I think associated with with the change that that matters to consumers. You know, if I if I tell you that I can gene edit a dairy cow and produce milk that is healthier for you, that might be of interest to you, and and you'd say, well, I feel I, I understand the technology, I feel okay about it. I think in the original launch of of some of the herbicide tolerant or herbicide resistant. Uh, things like Roundup Ready, 
consumers said, I, ha- I take all the risk. I don't understand it. You know, I'm, there are people saying that it's not healthy for me. And really, I don't see any of the benefit because, you know, I don't have a good understanding of, well, yields will be improved. Maybe prices will come down, all of those sorts of things. So, so I think there's some of that perceived risk factor that matters as well. Would you agree with that? I absolutely, um, I absolutely agree with that because consumers shouldn't be the ones that bear the risk of choices of, of other people. I mean, well, we're not talking about COVID, but we can talk about COVID here. You know, yeah. who's bearing the risk of other people's behaviors? And it's the same thing in the, in the, uh, the realm of genetic engineering. So um, there's lots of reasons why people care about what they eat, whether or not it be moral convictions not to um, change what nature does, whether it be I do not want to, um, I don't want more pesticides or herbicides being sprayed on the field, even though it might reap um, more um, yield for the farmers, whether or not it be um, you know, we have enough production as it is. We don't need any more uh, milk produced. It's really going to hurt the farmer and the prices aren't going to be passed to the consumer anyway. So there are lots of reasons that people make decisions about their food that don't necessarily have to do with the specific genetic engineering or the technology, such as the glyphosate resistant soybeans. It's, it's not about that the technology made those soybeans glyphosate resistant. It's about the fact that these herbicides are being sprayed on the crops and therefore have different, um, have, have different ramifications than the technology itself. Yeah, so, that, so that's interesting. And, and, you know, one can't in these times have a conversation with anyone without talking about COVID at some point. Uh, and it, it was interesting because I was going to, I, I, I was going to bring it in sort of a similar context. Sorry, I'm going to take a step back. I agree with you hundred percent that, that the attribute will matter and who benefits all of those things, the nature of it, all of that will matter. But we're also seeing in, in the current environment, considerable distrust of technology like vaccines uh, and resistance. So I am not entirely convinced that that we can rule out sort of resistance to the technology, even if there is a benefit. And And I'd use vaccines in the COVID environment as a perfect example, where there are clear benefits both as individuals and across our communities. But there are people who are, for a variety of reasons, but some of them who are distrustful of of the technology. So I, I think we'll have resistance to both. Is, is that an unreasonable comment? You know what? I, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And it takes me back probably 25 years to the first biotechnology conference that I went to. And the keynote speaker said something like, Um, consumers are too stupid to understand anything about this, so we shouldn't tell them anything. And I, as a consumer economist, am in the audience going, are you kidding me? And that sort of, that sort of (laughs) egged me on to look at this whole labeling issue. Um, And I think that that's part of the problem. I I recently wrote a chapter um, about the ethics of uh, biotechnology. And my take on it was um, why a science alone approach is not going to solve the problem. And it's when we get this top down, this is good for you. You don't have a say in the conversation. We don't want to hear your point of view um, that I think 
gets consumers dander up and they say, well, I don't trust you. Why should I trust you? You didn't let me even speak about what I would like to speak about. And you basically didn't listen. And so that when we have, we don't need to regulate, we don't need to tell you anything because as a consuming public, you don't, you know, you don't know anything anyway. I don't think that that's an appropriate way to gain more trust in our society. Now, on the other hand, you know, you don't want people saying, well, I read it on the internet and therefore it must be true. I mean, you, you <laughs> need to have this conversation where that people are more open to scientific conversation. But in the case specifically of genetic engineering, it's so much more in the minds of the consumer than, than just the technology, right? It's, it's interfering in the natural order of things. It's that I would, I don't believe that this is natural. Um, and we see these regulations trying to say, well, we would like to also label these genetic engineering products as being natural as well. And I, I think it just, it, and if you were asked consumers, 95% of them said, no, I do not believe that they should also be labeled as natural and carry a genetic engineering label. So um, so there, I think that the dialogue, the dialogue is missing and the, the appreciation for the other side is is missing and under, trying to understand and having that conversation is missing. It's just top down, you know, this is what you should know, this is science and, and so on. You're, you're, you're preaching to the choir in, on that one, Jane, because I've argued for a long time that, you know, I've heard people say, you know, if only they would just listen to the science, they would get it or consumers don't get it, let's just not worry about it. Uh, and and you brought up the issue of trust. One of the things that I've long argued is, if you look at the data, consumers feel pretty good about our food system, actually, and they trust farmers. The issue is they really have no understanding of how food is produced. They don't have an understanding of what technology is used and when it's used. And so what happens is when issues arise, because we haven't had a fulsome conversation, when these issues arise, uh, they go, wait a minute, you're doing what? And, and they're surprised. And, and that jump from trust to disappointment is bigger if you feel good about it than, than if, you were, if you were skeptical. And I think that that's one of the things that, that the whole food industry, not just relative to GMOs, has to get their head around is, and, and you said, listen, I think that that's critically important, is, is, is having that conversation and hearing, telling people what you're doing and hearing what their concerns are. Right. And that in the, um, you know, in the 90s, when the the whole GM issue sort of came to light with, uh, I think one of the original products was the Flavor Saver Tomato. It really yeah. didn't be benefit anyone. It didn't taste good. It really, it was more expensive. And and the farmer couldn't get it to market. I mean, so so there was there was all this stuff around it. And then the industry just tried to hide it. And um, I think hiding behind a screen is is not the right the right idea. And I'm, I will segue into the new bioengineering law in the United States. I mean, it's really way behind the non-GMO project with the butterfly, which has which started a few years ago and now has 65,000 products that are certified um, non-GMO. It's that even when the new labeling law was promulgated in the US, there are lots of issues. They're, they're trying to hide the information instead of giving what 90% of consumers want, which is just a clear, simple declaration produced or partially produced using genetic engineering. They change the vocabulary to BE instead of GMO, which means bio 
bioengineering. And they're going to put on, um, you know, those little QR codes where you can go to some other website to find the information you want. And I, you know, I, I was doing this last week. So I was going to the website saying, well, you know, companies can voluntarily label now. They don't really have to hit the mark until January of 2022. What are they doing? And it takes six or seven clicks to even find the information because you go to the website about, I don't know, it might could be potato chips. And then it, it'll take you to the label and then it'll take you to the allergies and then it'll take you to the certifications. And if you click enough, you can find something that says this product was produced with bioengineering. So that's not very transparent to the consumer anyway. And I don't think increases trust. One of the pushbacks that, that we get often on mandatory labeling is that we're over-labeling already. We're overwhelming consumers with information. And because they're getting so much information, they're not processing any of it. And so we've done some work here at the University of Guelph where we found that most people weren't even looking at the labels unless they were specifically interested in it. And, and if we have too many labels, do we run the risk of not only having people shut out what is relevant information, but also not achieving our objectives relative to providing that information? You know, it's a, that's a really interesting question, but it leads me to circle back to almost where we started in this conversation, which is that not every consumer wants every bit of information, so that we're looking for different things. So there are consumers who will um, be looking for non-GMO and they'll look for that non-GMO butterfly. There are consumers who are concerned about their sodium intake, so they're going to look at the back of package label and find the sodium content. There are consumers who are interested in, in the ingredients list where they don't want to see sugar as the first ingredient in their breakfast cereal, for example. So, uh, you know, we can say that overall and on average, the packages look like they're, they're stuffed with different labels, but when you you think about not every consumer is is interested in every single one of those labels um, with time and the the cadre of products that you put in your market basket you know where to look and what to look for on that particular label whether it be the the calorie count the fat count the 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 salt content the ingredients list et cetera, et cetera, um, whether it's vegan whether it's uh you know whether it's gmo or non-gmo so you know Taken as a whole, yeah, maybe, but taken as a um, consumers want to be able to have the information that they're interested in, what are you, which one are you going to choose and not yeah. choose? So I'm sort of a proponent of, I like labels. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 no, I, and th th that's fine. And I, I think we all bring our personal screens. I'm, I'm a, I'm a buyer, not a shopper. So I go and I find what I want. I do spend a bit of time looking at sodium because at my age, that's one of the things I have to watch. But I wonder sometimes, and some of our work has said that, that you know, placement matters. How do we prioritize which things we put where? Can we, you know, as we get this real sort of I'm going to sound like a grumpy old guy, Jane, and I apologize, but you know, there are way more products on the shelves than there used to be. And so as we get this sort of proliferation of choice, do we, does every product have to have every label or do we go to say, if you're looking for a product with this attribute, we'll only put positive attributes on for people who are looking for it. I, I, I don't know what the right balance is, but I think 
even even for proponents of labels that there's got to be a point where we we have too much information and you can't find what it is you're looking for as an individual yes i you know on on that point i i absolutely agree and you have to have facility with you know an ability to be able to to look at a label and to know where it it goes and and you know there there's been research going on for quite a while you know, is there a stoplight approach? This product is, you know, has, is red, don't eat it, you know, big yeah. flashing. Um, is there a front of package label that so, sort of summarizes everything about the product? And, you know, you and I know that that's called a gestalt and you have this, you create this overall image based on a, a few characteristics. You know, I, I don't know um, whether or not we can do that. And I don't know who is there to decide which information should be there and which information should not. It, I have a, my PhD student right now in food systems is really interested in the hyper-processed area of foods. And he believes there should be a hyper-processed label on, on yeah. there. You know, that this is, there's, there's so much processing going on. If you are avoiding that, then all you need to see is that you don't even need to read the ingredients list. Yeah, you know, there's sharpeners, there's the people who want to know every single detail about the computer they buy or whatever. And then there's the levelers who say, oh, it says it has, a, you know, I don't know how, many, how much RAM and it's purple. So I like it, you know, yeah. so <laughs> I, I don't think you can please all of the people all yeah. of the time. So, so we have to we have to strike the right balance at some point. I think this is all, and and and, and I'm I'm conscious of time. I promised I wouldn't take too long. I'm really enjoying our conversation. This is complicated. I just had a master's student finished, and he looked at online. He looked at labeling and online grocery shopping. It, it's it's apparent that when you're shopping on a screen and the product picture is about you know an inch or two high you're not going to see a label on it and it and you're going to have to do the work that you described earlier to get in and see exactly what's in there and we looked specifically at health warnings so front of package labeling that health canada has as here in canada suggested we should have it became pretty clear that for people who were looking for it they could find it but for others and this is this is a real issue because front of package labeling uh, is really designed to influence the people who aren't specifically concerned about diet. What we've found in some of our work is front of package labels make it easier, reduce the search costs for people who are searching for it, who, who really want that health information, but doesn't look like it does a particularly good job for uh, unhealthy or perhaps obese people who are primarily targeted by that. So I think we've got some some very sort of practical challenges as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and that leads me to, to two different thoughts. One is about what's called the economic of information. And you have your active searchers. Those are the people who search out information. You have your passive searchers. Well, if it catches my eye, you know, I'll pay yeah. attention to it. You have the people who pay passive attention. Somehow they got the information. They have no idea how they got it. Like a jingle gets in your head or yeah, something like yeah. that. And then you have the people who just don't want any information. So, the, so even that information market is segmented in addition to the types of attributes that people want. And, you know, you said you were, you had just done this, this research. Something really interesting is that um, I have a time trend. I've been looking at research on looking at genetic engineering labels for the last four years. And 2021 um, sort of took a nosedive and it, that people were, were beginning to notice more and more of both the non-GMO and the GMO label 
um, from 2018 to 20. And then in 21, it went down. And, and I have to say, well, that's, you know, part of that effect has to be the fact that people aren't in the stores, that they were gro grocery shopping online, that they're not interacting with their products. And, uh, you know, my hypothesis is that we'll see that change change as people um, get back into the grocery stores. And here's the, the silver lining there is maybe they actually missed that, that interaction with their products and maybe they'll begin to pay a little bit more attention. Who knows? Yeah, I think, and I think, I think there is some evidence. We've got a very small sample where early in the pandemic, people really went online or went to click and collect where they went to pick it up at the curb. But then as they felt more comfortable, it was almost an opportunity to get out. We were limited to the places we could go out that people really sort of found it a treat to go back to the grocery store. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this affects demand for food uh, sorry, in the long in the long term. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Jane, and, and I think you and I could probably talk about this for hours and we and we may well in, in the future because I think I think we'll stay in touch. Is there any last point on GMOs or GMO labeling you'd like to you'd like to make for the listener? Sure. If this is something that you're concerned or want information about either to make a purchase or not make it a purchase, the information is is there for you and you know you should take advantage of it. Good. Well, Jane, thank you very much. That was uh, that was uh, interesting and uh, and informative and I look forward to chatting again. Me too. Thanks for having me. That wraps up another episode of the Food Focus podcast. We very much appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you just discovered Food Focus, you can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review. It helps others find us. Before we go, I want to thank my producer, Zach, for his hard work in making each episode sound good and for his original music that helps us transition. He does the hard work and we get to have all of the fun. Thanks. Have a great day.